Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome to Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. On this episode, uh, we're joined by a special guest, Dustin Baker, who's a writer for Vikings Territory. So Dustin, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. We're, we're excited you're here. Uh, yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Um, so I guess like starting off, can you tell us a little bit about your history as a fan of the Vikings? And, and I guess like, how did you become a writer? Okay. Um, my history of the fandom is not very complex, but it's got a little backstory. I lived in Houston, Texas for three years. Um, my stepdad was a hospital administrator. So we, we traveled about every three years or moved every three years. And we wound up in Houston, Texas, right after the Warren Moon era. And the Oilers okay. sucked absolutely sucked and through uh, hospital he got season tickets so we went to all these dastardly oiler games and I, I had loved football for about well, four or five years prior so it was just cool to go into games but all of my friends still loved Warren Moon and when he went to the Vikings they kind of sighed I looked at him and said you know I'm going to cheer for the Vikings and then as a matter of coincidence uh, my stepdad landed a job in Minneapolis um, he got that news in 1996 and it took us about a year to sell our house in Houston and I was like okay well, we're moving to Minneapolis and these Oilers suck so I'm going to start cheering for the Vikings and 96 was the first year that was wrapping up the the moon era and I got up there in 97 and they had a playoff win um, which is underrated in Vikings history. They beat the Giants in this <laughs> wild, wild, wild game. And then Randy was drafted the next year. Yep, and exactly. Like, like most folks in my age range, there was no looking back for yeah. how much you loved them. Um, for writing, that, that story is interesting as well. I, I have two degrees from the University of Minnesota, one in political science and one in history. And that was from 2002 to 2007. And if Anybody who's listening gets into those majors. All you do is read and write. You do nothing more than read and write. So if you keep up with your texts and then you write about your text, whether it's essay or in blue book written test, you're going to do just fine. So through, you know, blunt force training based on, you know, my grades, I wrote all the time. And then TAs would critique my writing. And so I got decent at it and I got my degrees there in 2007. So I've had all this Vikings knowledge in my head for 25 years, and I never told anybody, you know, that I'm capable of writing about the Vikings. I just would study these damn almanacs and sports websites. And just as the Internet's grown, I've grown along with it, studying all these stats. So I got on Twitter, uh, what, about a year and a half ago and decided I'm going to start tweeting some of this garbage that's in my brain and see if anybody likes it. And it, it took a little bit for me to realize uh, how to use Twitter. I was hashtagging everything and nobody cared. And then I got a couple of retweets <laughs> from people and then all the stuff I was tweeting picked up steam. Then by accident, I got labeled as like the, the eternal Kirk Cousins guy, uh, which I'm not. I like Kirk Cousins, but I like him just as I liked Bridgewater, <laughs> just as I like Culpepper. And even for the, the hype of Ponder when he was starting to come up. Like, so I have this category for how I like Vikings quarterbacks and Kirk Cousins is right in the middle of it with the rest of them. Uh, but one, once my, my Twitter uh, got more popular, I got approached by the Viking Age uh, to write, and I did that for a while. And then uh, my friend Joe Johnson, who passed away about three weeks ago, he recruited me to come write for Vikings territory. And it was almost like a, a wrestling or a WWE type of thing. Like he threw money at me. That seemed too, <laughs> too good to be true. And it wasn't. He delivered. He delivered on his promises. 
And he and I got linked at the hip in terms of friendship and our vision for digital content on the Vikings and uh, became like, I never met him in person uh, because of the pandemic, but yeah, he gave me complete creative control to do whatever I want on Vikings territory. And he even built me a website, franchisetag.com, which is our, our nationally themed uh, wing of the operations. Mm-hmm. So it was just a lot of weird stuff that uh, people just saying, Hey, try this out, try this out. I've never applied or done a single thing um, to get into this. It was just stuff that happened. And it, it works out well because all of this, some would call it useful, useless Vikings knowledge in my head. I can just view it onto the internet and people care. I never thought they would. You know, it's kind of funny. I get a few thoughts. Dustin, you're, you're not that old. How like Are you in your 30s? 37. And it, it's funny to be able to say like, as the internet grew, you know, like that <laughs> yeah. just happened like within our lifetime. And it's not like you're like 80 or something like this. Is, like it's still kind of, relatively new in a sense so it's kind of funny when you say that it struck uh, me yeah it's the search tool so yeah when i was really little like six years old my mother bought me a sports almanac and baseball was my first love the twins and i got obsessed with batting averages and rbis and how that all worked because it just fit in with my brain and then i my primary love is basketball that's the sport that i played and i'm a i'm a better basketball mind than a football mind not too many people know that um, but football is where I settled for entertainment value. And just as like the internet, as I said, grew, like uh, the website I predominantly use, which is Stathead or pro football reference, whatever you want to call it, yeah. it keeps getting better. Like every year it has more search features before, like 10 years ago, you just go on ESPN and look at leaderboards and stuff like that. But now you can search down to the, the minutia and figure out all the cool stats that guys like me care about. It is an excellent resource and mm-hmm. it's to the point now it's, I mean, this is how maybe you feel differently because I think you spend more time on there than I do. But to me, it feels like it just has limitless mm-hmm. info. Um, yeah, and it's funny, topic, the, like, the, the guys who work there, I don't, I don't know them by name, but there's been times uh, that I've used it and I found things that didn't work or some of the data that was coming back was weird. So uh, I email them now and give them suggestions. I, I told right. them that they needed a player split finder. And then uh, a couple months ago, all of a sudden, boom, there was a player split finder when they had a team split finder. Uh, right. So yeah, just through uh, the way that my, I enjoy viewing sports from a numerical perspective, I started using that site when it was free. And when they changed it to a paywall, I was like, oh, I got to have it. Uh, so yep. yeah, no, you can, you get lost for hours if you care about that stuff on Stathead. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. Okay. Well, then we get the uh, we get the writer breakdown and the Vikings fan breakdown. So with that, Sam, do you want to hit second down and actually talk <laughs> Vikings a little bit and hit them with uh, we do we do three. We're from Canada. Hence the whole oh, cool. notes from the North thing. We yeah. we're playing off the NFC North and the fact that we're Canadian. Um, but we're going to yeah, we're going to hit you with three downs. First one down is obviously about who you are. And second down is a little bit of uh, kind of Vikings training camp competition. And so, Sam. Hit, hit us with that. Yeah, absolutely. So like in this section, like Kyle said, we're going to look at five of the training cap camp battles that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're going to have is, is Dustin, you're going to predict and, and Kyle will weigh in after the fact about who snags the starting spot. Um, and just, you can provide a brief explanation of why you're, you're leaning towards that player um, over, over the other one. Okay. So, Okay, and we can give we can give context, right? Certainly, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, certainly. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to list off. I've got 
got two names or a third option. That's kind of basically how it goes. Um, and uh, so you can kind of, you can choose one of the two or you can go off the board. Um, cool. And some of those positions, they may make a little more sense than others um, just in terms of how open the spot is, but we're going to start at corner. So do you see that corner spot being taken by Breland, Dantzler or a third option? The, so next to Peterson? The assumption is Patrick, with that contract, the assumption okay. is Peterson has one. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot because yep. uh, my context is that Bashad Breland is a player based on his resume who starts everywhere he goes and then based on his personality and his tweets. He's like a Muhammad Ali type that expects to start. Um, I think the only guy that would take a backseat in all this because he was so cheap would be Alexander. Um, I don't see Dantzler taking a backseat just because we have Bashad Breland. So I'll predict that Dantzler will be QB2 but it won't be like Breland's ignored or anything. He'll get a lot of action. Okay. Interesting. I actually, I'm thinking Peterson is, I mean, he's being paid by number as a number one corner. And I think he end up will end up being that number one corner. Uh, I think Breland's uh, veteran physical, sometimes to a fault gets a lot of penalties. That sounds like a Zimmer corner to me. And then I think Mackenzie Alexander is going to take the slot role. And so I actually think Dancer is okay. the one who will step back a little bit. Not because I, I like Dancer a lot. I just mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it's uncommon for sophomores to maybe take a bit of a step back. Yeah. And I think that Breland is precisely Zim's style of corner. Yeah. Physical, aggressive, swagger. It that, comes, that, that's Zim. Like, it, come, it comes down to whether Dancer will allow that or not, because that'll it, be up to him if totally. he if he in preseason training camp uh, week one, whenever it is, if he shows that the last half of last year was not uh, just a fluke, yep. um, he'll control his destiny. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that one. But, and I thought this, I think on my, I think I wrote for Vikings territory, the things to watch in number two uh, was my cornerback battle because yep. it's so cool that last year, if you and I, three of us were on a podcast, we'd stare at each other and be like, we got these rookies and then Chris Boyd. So maybe Zimmer can work the voodoo. And now we're like, well, what the hell? If Gladney comes back, he's not even going to be able to play because he doesn't fit. We have too yep. many. So exactly. it's a beautiful problem to have. Yep, exactly. All right, Sam, number two. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely been a position that's been addressed through free agency. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we got the perfect it. coach to get cornerbacks. I tell you exactly. what. Yeah. Yep. Um, second one. And I feel like I've seen a lot about this, the right guard position. So we've got mm-hmm. Davis, we got Dozier. Or a third option. You want to start, Kyle, or you want me to? No, no, Dustin, you, you, you're leading off the whole way here, man. Okay, well, I, I will fully admit that I did not see the Oli Udo curveball <laughs> coming I, at all. So <laughs> it's a good thing we recorded this now than four days ago, and I would have sounded like a moron because, to me, he was the type of player that might be cut. Uh, we just don't know too much about him outside of that stellar performance against Khalil Mack, which ain't nothing. Mm. Um, so this one, I know what I want to happen. And I tend to fall back on history. For Christ's sake, Justin Jefferson couldn't get snaps until about week three. So why in the world would an offensive lineman? However, I think they're doing things differently with the offensive line. Somebody realized that the way they do things isn't very good. Maybe the run scheme can be argued as decent, but the pass blocking is pitiful. So I think that with the new uh, – what's his name? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Phil Rauscher, the new offensive yeah, coordinator right. yep. with a new vision. And then they show drafting Derisaw and Davis. That they're going to get some meaty guys rather than these power forwards that we keep drafting. I think, I think Davis will actually start week one. 
because it's kind of like the, you know, what the hell do you have to lose? It's not like we're protecting this 12th best offensive line in the world. It's 29th best per pass protection last year. So I'll say Davis. And that's a little optimism creeping into. Fair enough. I, uh, I'd be happy if it was Davis. I'm, I'm hoping that it will be Davis. Um, I like Oli Udo a lot. Uh, the one thing I'm a little nervous. So last year, and I got to give a shout out to Dan Chat from Purple Pain Forums. He made this point today. Um, you know, last year, Aviante Collins apparently was in the running for the left guard job. But in reality, what was happening was they were giving him all that run, all the snaps to see what he had. And then when they can have form evaluation, then they cut him in the end. And so sometimes with players, you give them more run, you give them more chance, because I want to really see what I have here before we make a final decision. And yeah. I'm nervous that's what's happening with Oli Udo. <laughs> uh, because it's this is now year three and mm-hmm. so we need to determine is this kid in our future or not right and he's not going to start over brian o'neill he's not going to start over christian derisaw mm-hmm. and rashad hill is the swing tackle so mm-hmm. what do we have in this kid and so i'm a little nervous that with udo what we're seeing is evaluation rather than earnest desire for him to be right guard that's that's my concern and yeah. i know it might be a little tinfoil hatty i'm not sure um but I actually, if I'm guessing right now, I'm actually guessing Dakota Dozier uh, <laughs> because I think the I think the staff likes him. I think they like the veteran workmanlike go about your business style. Um, and there's a lot of young players on that line. Everyone is young. And I don't know if they want the fourth year player to be their veteran. I so. could uh, I could get on board with that if he had like a fifty-five PFF rating. But I know the fact that it's forty-four or whatever it was. Uh, yep. It, it kind of draws lines that I don't really care if he's hardworking if it if it nets forty-four uh, pass or uh, PFF grade. But no, I, I I can see that. But that's really the cynicism creeping in, thinking now they're going to do it, aren't they? Um, the other one when we traded for Mason Cole. Yeah, that's in, right. That's back right. in March. Yep. That would that would have been the normal Viking solution to this. They would say, "Oh, yep. this guy sucked a little bit, but not a lot with the Cardinals. So let's see if we can get a retread out of him and put him at guard when he played center for most of his career." So that's the yep. way it felt like it was going. But then uh, we talked about Joe Johnson before. The one guy that he wanted in this draft, hell or high water, was Wyatt Davis, and that's why Joe, right. right before he passed away, got super optimistic about the Vikings. And it was very weird for people to hear because he's, really, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's right. the, the diary writer of Doomsday. Um, so I would I would point out that Mason Cole shouldn't be excluded for this conversation because he would have been the normal type of Zimmerian solution on the offensive line. But when you have Wyatt Davis there, who for who was going to be a first round pick this time last year, uh, going into the 2020 NFL draft, I think he's too good. And so he's another one, just like Dantzler. If, if he wants it, we don't have like the slew of guys he has to dethrone. He just got to be his ordinary self. And when the bright lights come on, he's got to be able to do it. Fair enough. I, I, I hope, I hope <laughs> you're right. I do. Yeah. Sincerely. That one is uh, it is really optimistic that I'm going to try to speak it into existence. I had Mike Tice on our show with Brian McKinney last yep. night and yep. uh, Tice kind of hinted at that. He doesn't really like doing that. Just uh, taking a tackle and say, well, you kind of look like a guard on Tuesdays. Let's try it out. Yeah, he, doesn't, right. he doesn't like that philosophy and uh, yeah. Tice is an offensive line to mind. Exactly. Uh, so I, I, I like the way that we drafted Derisaw to play tackle Davis yeah. to play guard. And unless they muck it all up, uh, 
they're there. And it's just, a, it's a very youthful offensive line. Yes. that kind of flies under the radar. It's all organically drafted and just, it's, it's almost uh, like on the potential wise, it has vibes of great greatness, but they have to go out and play. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sam, number three, what do you got? That makes a lot of sense. Um, this one, I, I don't know how much confidence you've got inspired in this, but we, we're looking at kicker here. So you got, Oh yeah. Patterson, Joseph, or third option? I floated Zane Gonzalez's name in a Vikings territory article, mainly because outside of Brett Maher or Mayer, mm-hmm. he's the only the only name that football heads would know. They're free agents. So we've all seen for the last five years the kicker battle in this time of year. Usually we'll get a name like Forbath or Bailey, and we're like, this is going to be the year where he figures this out and is going to be consistent. And then for stretches, it works, and then it ultimately ends in tragedy. And same spot we're always in. So if that happens where Zimmer's nerve just fly to the moon because uh, Joseph starts making missing kicks in the preseason, Zane Gonzalez is there, and uh, he's not the, the best kicker in the world, but he scores points. I think he was fourth in league in points scored for the Cardinals in 2019 during his – uh, fully healthy season so Zane Gonzalez is named to keep an eye on because he's like the big name out there uh, but I like the idea of not having a Bailey name or expectations for Carlson mm-hmm. uh, I like the fact that we're just picking up a dude we think that he's good and it doesn't have these massive expectations that we got Bailey it's fixed we're good now it's uh who's this guy his name's Greg Joseph oh that's an ordinary American name we'll give it a shot uh, so I think maybe if we we stop expecting so much emotionally, maybe this guy will be pretty good. And the other thing and I want to point out on this show, and it's not really relevant to this conversation whatsoever, is that Blair Walsh, before he had his moment against the Seahawks, that guy was terrific. He was fantastic. If you, if you go back and look at his numbers, the leg yep. that he had, the consistency that he had, that one damn game erased four seasons of good work. Yeah. And it's a, just a fall from grace that is so sad. Uh, and I feel bad for him because I think I'm one of the only guys who look back and say, like, God, he was a good kicker, but he had that one bad game. Everybody remembers him for missing that kick. So that's my little kicker speech. And I'll even – sorry, go ahead. You got I'll Joseph? take Joseph to win it. And I don't know much about Patterson other than what I can read on the internet. Uh, but right. I, think, I think Joseph, he's a, a mini journeyman. I think he's been with the – was it Brown? I don't know. He's been like three places in Cleveland and Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, but that might be totally, I usually talk out of my butt on here. And no, that that's might true. More. That is. Uh, he was the playoff kicker for the Titans. They made some extra Possibly. points. Yeah. Um, Blair Walsh. So I, I you know, I, t- to me, this, this is maybe not entirely true, but to me, kicking is kind of like golf in that. I mean, you, it helps if you're a great athlete. It does but it's so mental. It's such mm-hmm. a mental, like with golf, if you're in your own head, boys, you're going to have a tough round. <laughs> and I think, I think it's the same way with kicking. And uh, he actually, Blair Walsh actually had an, an excellent game against Seattle up until that final mm-hmm. kick. I mean, that was, it was frigid and he had a couple 40 plus yarders. He had the short one earlier. And like you said, he had a great career up until that point. There's a reason why they signed him to that big extension. Um so it is extremely unfortunate. Uh, all that to say, uh, I have no clue who will win between Patterson and Joseph. I don't think it will be a third option, but I suppose someone like Zane Gonzalez could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, this is similar to what you're saying, Dustin. 
I like that they've opted for a different approach. Yeah. Last offseason, they signed Bailey and Colquitt to the big extensions and essentially had no competition at all. And our punting and our kicking was a disaster. And this season, they've taken the opposite approach. We've gone two unproven guys, one an undrafted free agent, one who's been in the league for a couple of years, bounced around a little bit. And we're going to actually have a real competition, let the best man win. Yeah. And so will that work? I don't know. But uh, at least it's a different approach mm-hmm. and hopefully a more under the radar steady. Yeah. I, I, I don't want, uh, gosh, what's his name out of Baltimore? I don't want spectacular necessarily. I want steady. Tucker. Yeah. Exactly. I want a good on, kicker. On the, the kicker having the eternal yips after the fact, I don't know. If you, I don't know if you guys read into the read about Simone Biles stuff more so than just tweets back and forth about is she right or wrong. But if you read into you know what it is about her dropping out because of mental health, my knee-jerk reaction was like, oh, panic attacks perhaps or mm-hmm. depression that she's never talked about. But when you read or listen to her words, it's really nothing to do with anxiety or depression or what you might think when you hear mental health. It's something called the twisties. I don't know if you guys read the articles on that, but it's a phenomenon that happens to gymnasts, kind of like Walsh, where he missed that kick and then he never really recovered. Uh, when they get in the air, and this is secondhand, and I'm not a gymnast, second, when they get in the air, all of their, their twisting motions for that particular routine, like their body forgets how to do it. And there's no explanation for it. Not like, not mm-hmm. a bunch of uh, sweating and panic leading up to the event. It's, and it happens to multiple gymnasts over the course of history that they get the twisties where they go up to do their routine and their brain is telling them, all right, we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then their body doesn't react and it becomes incredibly dangerous. And so when she was encountering that battle at the Olympics of all places, uh, you got to start wondering, do I want to break my neck or do I want to live for the rest of these 65 years that I have left? So I encourage people to read a little bit more about her before calling her a quitter and all that, because it's spooky, the stuff that they do, uh, one, one big toe away. And then, you know, their neck is snapped. So my goodness. Well, there, there you have it. <laughs> That's Dustin with the training camp predictions and commentary twisties. on the Olympics and the twisties <laughs> and gymnastics. Number four, That's Sam, what do you got? got, Sam? Okay. Uh, number four, we're going to turn to defensive end. So we got Weatherly, Wanham, or third option. Ooh, this is another one where I, I know what I want, and that's Justin Houston because we can afford him. <laughs> yeah, and it would, be, it would be the exclamation point on this bonanza <laughs> of free agents that we've signed. But wouldn't we have done it by now is what I'm, what I'm starting to think. I think this one is going to be Weatherly. I read something about a month ago where he could be a surprise cut because Wanham will have emerged or Patrick Jones if we decide to start a rookie. But I think Weatherly is safe. Uh, Weatherly can be good if Hunter is the menace that we know and love from 2019. Weatherly can, you'll recall when when Griffin had his bout with mental uh, anguish in 2018, Weatherly was pretty good. And I think that's what we hope to rekindle uh, with Edwards and Zimmer and all that. So I'll predict Weatherly, not overly excited about that. But it's also not last year where the pass rush sucked and then so did everything else on the back end. If the pass rush isn't as domineering as it was when it was Griffin and Hunter, uh, it doesn't have to feel like last year where it's like, well, is Chris Jones going to do anything about it? No. Uh, So, yeah, I'll predict Weatherly, but I I would love Justin Houston because he's basically the same 
build is Griffin, and he played 4-3 with the Colts, and he's a sack machine, and he's Griffin's age. And that's another one. If, if, if Griffin and the Vikings came to a kumbaya, I would have no problem with him coming back. I've been trying to get him on my show for like seven months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I like Stephen Weatherly. Like, okay. I, I just as like a person, like he's a highly intelligent dude. He's got a ton of interests, like beyond football. He's just a neat guy. Right. But then I also like, so he's, he's making two and a half million this year. If he gets cut, we save 2 million of that. Uh, and so uh, I don't think his contract guarantees him anything. And okay. I think in reality, he would be better as a depth defensive end yeah. than he is necessarily. As a, I mean, like you said, if, if Hunter is dominant, if those two defensive tackles, and then of course, Sheldon Richardson as well, if they're dominant and disruptive, well, then Weatherly will be just fine. Uh, but I think in reality, he's better as a three or a four. Um, I actually, I'm going to go with DJ Wanham. Uh, to start? Yeah, to start. Um, now, nah, you know, even I said, like, Weatherly is, he's a super smart and he's super long. And I know that Patterson and Zim love that in their defensive ends. Smart, long defensive ends. Um, but, you know, DJ Wanham's long and he's got a ton of potential. Um and so put me down for the sophomore. I'll 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 uh, I'll go down for DJ one. And you're, you're saying he'll start against the Bengals. Start week one. Okay. Against the Bengals. All right. That's, yeah, that's my pretty, prediction. That's pretty bold. Yeah. Uh, Weatherly, Weather, Weatherly was so happy to be back. He was. The I first, know. Yeah. He was the first free agent that we signed, and because of that, the sole fact that he was the first free agent, it was like, oh, here we go, baby. And, but that battle is going to be fierce. Like yeah. it's it's going to be because it's not just. But you also still have Matt Affer. You still have Jalen Holmes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still have, there's just going to be so much. And I recognize that there's like Hunter needs breaks. It's not like Hunter's going to play hundred percent of the snaps. Yeah. There's going to have to mm-hmm. be guys who, you know, take him off the field for a few. So it's not just about opposite him, but man, that spot opposite him is going to be fierce. When you say all those names like Holmes and Alpha, it reminds me that we've brought in so many new dudes that will demand playing time just based on their reputation that yep. when it's time to trim this bastard down to 53 players, we're going to see some names that we're like, oh, no, like Mata's got to go. Names that we've grown to love exactly. just, just because they're our guys yep. that uh, we're going to be surprised. Like, you know, the Chad Beebe types, not predicting he'll be cut, but those type of guys that they're big in our world, but you know, nationally nobody cares about them. We're going to sit, we're probably going to have about four or five of those guys on cut day, so to speak. Yeah. Well, that's a good transition. Sam. I, was, I was just going to say that's a perfect transition because <laughs> the last one we have is wide receiver three. Uh, oh, okay. So, so we've got BB in there. We've got the new signing Westbrook, uh, or is there a mystery third option? Well, it would be BC Johnson or Smith Marset. Uh, let's see what a, a week ago predicting Smith Marset would be really cool because that will have meant that he emerged in the preseason. Um, that's what we've talked about rookies emerging in the system. We do it, but it usually takes three or four or five games in the regular season. Uh, it's gotta be Westbrook Westbrook with trashy quarterback play in Jacksonville when he was healthy, put together between 500 and 700 yards and three to seven touchdowns. And that's exactly what the Vikings need once and for all from a wide receiver three since Jarius Wright left after the 2017 season, we've tried all of these weird things that a normal offensive focused team would be like, who is that? Why do you keep doing that with Treadwell and BC Johnson <laughs> and BB people. We love BB just because he's got the football blood and all that. But this Westbrook thing is the closest thing to getting us 
in line with the rest of the world who emphasizes WR3. Now, whether or not we scheme the playbook to do it is another thing, but Westbrook is fast. Uh, it looks like he's progressing nicely back from injury. And I think we signed him with purpose. Plus it's McCardell's guy. I think he will get him prepared to be the WR3 and a uh, casual reminder that no matter what you hear on Twitter or the digital stratosphere that Kirk cousins in Washington threw the ball all over the place to multiple dudes of varying degrees of talent. So this notion that he singularly targets Elon and uh, Jefferson is bogus. He, he empowered dudes that you've never heard of on the Washington roster. Now he had Pierre Gosson at times, Deshaun Jackson, but they were rarely there at the same time because uh, Jackson's hurt like he always is. And then uh, what, what did Kirk have a tight end? Jordan Reed. Yeah. Reed. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, I think it'll be Westbrook mainly because he's young he knows McCardell and he's fast. All right. I actually, I'm, I'm zigging. I think when most people are zagging, most, most Vikings fans are really excited about Westbrook. And I do get that. Um, my, and this is not fair to Westbrook because at the end of the day, the man's an individual and he obviously should have his shot. But my skepticism comes from, uh, so last year it was TJ Sharp and we've had Michael Floyd. And we've had, you know, we, uh, it yeah. was, uh, Jordan Taylor was the, you know, the gentleman from Denver that long, you know, the tall dude from Denver who was the yeah. squad darling. Um, these signings just don't seem to work out for us. What we're seems to work out for us <laughs> is when we bring in our own homegrown talent. And I know that we have busts like Treadwell kind of thing, but Jarius Wright was drafted by us. Stefan Diggs was drafted by us. Thielen was signed by us, you know, Jefferson, like that, that seems to me what works out well, even BC Johnson and BB. Um, we don't That's seem to do true. we don't seem to do particularly well when we bring in outside receiver talents. Now, what you're saying about wide receiver coach McCarl makes sense. Uh, I just think there's a trend there a little bit. And so that's my skepticism, even though I know it's not fair to Westbrook, because at the end of the day, the man's an individual and dude's gotta, you know, have a shot to earn it. So maybe he will earn it. Um, but for those for that reason, I'm skeptical, I'm skeptical for that reason. And uh, as a result, uh, I'm actually going to pick BC Johnson. Oh boy! Okay, yeah, I'm picking there was, BC. There was a couple other dudes from 2018 when Cousins first got there. I think it Aldrick was Aldrick Robinson. No, he, well, he he came in midseason. He was good for. He was what? pretty good. He was pretty in good. the preseason. There was dudes that didn't get off the ground that we got a little bit excited about. Traveris King and Kendall Wright from the Bears. Dudes that. Had a mini Westbrook feel that were like, oh yeah, he's young. He just needs some targets. Exactly. And to your point, they don't. Yep. Even, they didn't even make the uh, fifty-three man team. And so, yep. yep, you've got a valid point there. Uh, I think I just think Westbrook is a little bit different in terms of what he produces when he's healthy. And that was with Bortles and uh, who were some of those other imbeciles that were throwing him the ball. <laughs> Bortles, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bortles, and then. Uh, I can't think if there was another his whatever whoever Bortles backup was for a while came in. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Westbrook would have a field day with Kirk and vice versa. Fair enough. Okay, Sam, you want to hit us with third down? Yeah, that's great. I think that that like and just for people listening, this is Thursday night, and it feels like things are changing and different battles. Like just mm-hmm. people are jumping yeah. up yeah. and down, and so this like this could change next week. But I think that it, it sounds like with Kyle and Dustin, they're both kind of. They've, they've got different opinions in a lot yeah. of these guys. And I think it just shows how, <laughs> like, by that. how close it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we got, we got five minutes left. So we just want to talk quickly on third down about Mike Zimmer. And mm-hmm. so Dustin Zimmer has been here since 2014. 
It's had one really great team, handful of good teams, and then some lackluster performances uh, like last year. And so I guess the, the question that we'll propose to you, is he the right person to lead the Vikings? Yes, I I enjoy him as a person. I like the fact that he's stubborn and feels like that Parcells way. I like I like having that because it feels like the nostalgia a little bit or last of a dying breed with all of the the good looking offensive minded head coaches. Like I'm sure we'll get we'll get one of those, or maybe we'll end up actually Sean getting, McVay. Yeah, yeah right, maybe we'll right. actually end up getting Bienemy if the stars align. But no, with hey, Zimmer, yeah, yeah, with Zimmer. I I grew up watching a brand of. Vikings football that was always offense and that was fine but it really brought me tremendous pain to watch missed tackles in the 2005 season and blah and it just irked me and then it got better under Childress and then Leslie Frazier came and the Wolves said well we're going back to defense and they tried to do it failed miserably defensively they got horrible worse than the Tice era and so when they hired Zimmer who finally got his job after many decades. Uh, he b- actually brought defense to the franchise. So yeah, I love watching that brand of football because uh, it feels like you're always in it if you have a good defense. And I've liked the way some people don't. I like the way he's adapted. We go for it more on fourth down now. There was a time in 2016, 2017 where we just laugh at the idea of going for it on fourth and one. I think he's come along with the times. And the thing that I admire about him and I don't settle for mediocrity, but his bad years are only mediocre. And that's what the great franchises do from the Steelers, the Patriots, the Saints, now the Chiefs, even with Alex Smith. When they have a crappy year, it's only about seven to nine or eight and eight. And um, I think that is telling to show that he is incapable of having a miserable team before and 12. And that's probably why he hasn't been fired. Uh, with all of that said, though, I, I can understand why people think it's stale to an extent. So mm-hmm. he needs a playoff win and then not to get shellacked or embarrassed the follow-up game in the playoffs uh, to make it easy for everybody. Let's just win two playoff games and get into the conference championship or the Super Bowl. But I do think these are the highest stakes that he's had as a head coach. And there will be tremendous change in leadership. If we have another eight, nine, nine and eight, miss the playoffs. I don't think he'll be the coach. If we only get one playoff win, is that reason for a coaching change? I'd have to see how the second game shakes out. If yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, sure. It's yeah. Com- if it's like if it's San Francisco all over again, where it's the offensive line, same. We knew exactly. We, we knew all week this was going to happen. Then I would be on board with switching it up and going after Bienemy, um, kind of that you know hometown vibe because he coached Adrian and everything. Yep. It feels like the stars are aligning for it that he keeps getting passed over. That maybe it is to come back home. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Zim, it was that kind of thing of just this this great coordinator who, you know, is getting all this recognition and has these impre- this impressive resume, doing impressive things with his side of the ball, and for some reason just keeps getting passed over. So for perhaps, perhaps after, but I, I will say, I like yourself, Dustin, I love Zim. Uh, I like, I admire him as a person. I love you know, coming off of Frazier and, and, and I respect Frazier. I think Leslie mm-hmm. Frazier is a good man and I like him a lot. And I like that he's doing well in Buffalo. Um, but Zimmer was just a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Uh, just his brash, no nonsense style. <laughs> yeah. um, I think he's fantastic. And I, I just, I'm so rooting for him mm-hmm. uh, to be successful uh, with the Vikings. 
even worse doesn't, than he has. Doesn't these last two days, he seems like a different guy. Like when you watch his press conferences, he's like smiling and admitting that he's paying attention to stuff that he would otherwise pretend that he didn't care about, like Rogers or O'Neill's yep. contract. Yeah. Twitter, the Twitter crowd said that's because he's a grandpa now. And that just, this is how it goes. When you become a grandpa, you, you, you get softer and which is awesome. Uh, we'll all get there. Uh, what 20 25 years yeah but uh, yeah it's refreshing to an extent because you're so used to this prickly facade about being mean to chris thomason um (laughs) yeah he he and thomason go at it a little bit yeah (laughs) Yeah. yes that's that's true my my theory uh the grandfather theories out there i did see that Mm -hmm. but i think it was precisely what you said dustin toward the beginning of the show peterson Rashad breeland cameron dantzler mackenzie alexander you know, if our first round corner does come back, there won't even be room for him on the field kind of thing. Like it's just the corner is the corner room is deep. And I I think that makes Zimmer a happy man. Yeah. looks completely different. There's a reason for that smile. And it's, it's the CB acronym. Yeah. Fair enough. Sam. Well, Dustin, we want to thank you a ton for coming on. Oh yeah. Um, Thanks man. So yeah. Listeners can find you at dust Baker on Twitter. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and you are writing over the Vikings territory in purple PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you mentioned earlier, you have a podcast with, uh, Brian McKinney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we should, yeah. 30 seconds. Should, you get anything? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, what's with, uh, Sal spice from yeah, Twitter, right. Sally from Minneapolis. And then a guy, uh, Ron saw who joined the fantasy football league with me and I had him on as a guest one time and he was tremendous. So I told him, why don't you just come back every week? And he was like, hell yes. Uh, so yeah, it's believe in Vikings and it's, it's pretty cool. McKinney gets us every guest you could want. I just say a name and he's like, yeah, I'll work on that guy. Cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, McKinney's done it all. First round picks for both champ. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Well, thank yeah, you gentlemen. Enough. You let me know when you need a guest in a short notice and I'll hook you up. Awesome. Thanks Dustin. Have a good night, man. Yep. We appreciate Later. it. See ya. Sure. Well, we just want to thank again for uh, Dustin coming on. It was a pleasure to have him. Uh, really knowledgeable guy who knows a lot about the Vikings and um, really tuned into what's happening. So it was a pleasure to to have him on. And for you guys to go back and forth on those five positions was quite quite fascinating to listen to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, with with what Sam is saying, I mean, Dustin kind of lives and breathes Vikings. He writes you know, a ton of content about the Vikings and he thinks about it obviously a lot and, uh, you know, the podcast as well. But then, you know, with what Sam's saying, we did those five, that five-parter, that uh, roster composition, you know, like you just, it's really in many ways, it's anyone's guess. And I think the reality is that even if you, you know, if we had Mike Zimmer on our podcast and he was, you know, 100% honest, I'm sure that he still wouldn't even know a lot of these, right? Like it's just, like it's yet to be determined uh, a lot of these positions so uh, reasonable minds can certainly disagree and even I think folks internal to the organization they might have a sense and they might have uh, there might be folks who are leading the battle but it's definitely a legit competition legit battle in the various spots and so it, it's going to be a compelling next several weeks for the Vikings and the oh fans. yeah no these competitions they're not fabricated like it's not like uh like we're trying to no. create something like oh we want to make this exciting like this is actually like true like there is is battles and and this is yep. a, a testament to the the drafting the free agent work that they did um exactly this is uh and this is great i think that uh 
even uh, when Aaron Henderson was on, he was talking about just the competition and how that yep. uh, brings the best out in people. Um, so I think this is, it's, it's definitely an encouraging sign to, to see that there's people that are capable of competing for this, the starting positions. It would be way more depressing if it was like, yeah, this lackluster dude. Yeah. He's going to be our starter and we know it. And it's like, no, we got legit competition across the board. It's excellent. It's really, really good. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll switch into the odds and ends. And Kyle, I have to say, I'm thankful that you're here and you're back. And I know I, I did a solo on Monday. Um, it was, it was good. It was good to give a little update on the Minnesota wild. Um, I didn't think about speaking for 20 minutes straight and, and how that would go. Um, but uh, you got to give the people what they want. The people want more Sam and you got to give them what they want every now and then. So oh, it was a lot of fun, but it was just like, after a while, I was like, Oh man, that was, that was a lot to talk about, but it's, it's always fun to have someone else to bounce ideas back and forth. So um, right. thankful, thankful you're here. Thankful to do this. And yeah, it was good to have Dustin on, but um, mm-hmm. I know I provided a pretty comprehensive Minnesota wild update in terms of just kind of breezing by a bunch of topics because it has been a busy off season for them. Um, I, like I said, we are recording Thursday night. Um, and so as of this point, there's been 11 contracts they've signed. A bunch of the guys are like league men minimum. So it's kind of between the $750,000 to $850,000 on one or two year deals, including, uh, I know Joe Hicketts, who used to play for the Detroit Red Wings, who is, uh, is your team. I don't know if you, you've got any analysis for, for him. You know, the only thing I would say, like when I think Joe Hicketts, I think Chad Beebe, which is to say uh, a player who, you know, has, has had to have overcome some odds and worked really hard undersized and might endear himself to the fan base. And so uh, don't think you're getting Nick Lindstrom here, but uh you know, fans m- might actually like Joe Higgins. I-, I like Joe Higgins, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll see what he does. Dude, dude's, yeah. dude's going to compete and work super hard. I can tell yeah. you that. For- former Canadian World Junior uh, defenseman. So, yeah, definitely yep. undersized guy. But that's the depth. And and uh, like I said on, on last Monday, that they definitely had some holes on defense and they addressed it with a, with a couple of the guys. Um, there that's was what three... we're saying. You, you, you want the competition, right? Like yeah. bring in guys who will compete. That's what we want. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that they've Minnesota's definitely brought in some, some guys that will compete. They did sign three guys that were signed for kind of over a million dollars, which I consider is significant deals or kind of noteworthy deals. So Frederick Goudreau, two years at $1.2 million per season depth center, uh, Dmitry Kulikov at two years, $2.25 million per definitely like a third third pairing defenseman type of guy and then Goligoski at one year five million um yeah right that one kind of snagged my attention the Goligoski for one by five that's interesting I, eh I for me it, like the sense that I got was Minnesota's got a bunch of cap space now with these buyouts for this year so he might have been a guy that was looking for a couple years instead they give him the high and like right exactly the high AAV give him one year try him out um He's 35, so he's he's right. on the older swing. But I guess the hope is that potentially he can fit into that top four um, there. And and then you've got Kulikov and, and John Merrill. And, and even there's some young guys here, um, like Addison, uh, who they traded for a couple of years ago uh, in the Jason Zucker deal. And so I think that the hope is probably for them to sign another defenseman 
um, and probably a few more forwards. Right now they've got nine forwards that are signed to contracts that are kind of on their main page as per cap mm-hmm. friendly. And I, the big deal right now is about signing uh, Kaprizov and, and Fiala. Um, they're the two big fish. And, and right now they've got, it says $19.7 million in, in terms of room. So it's definitely enough to sign them. The, the one thing that I was going to say is, is kind of like a hot take is that you don't want to leave too much room for these guys. Um, when there's a bunch of room for hmm. of contract, like when you got all this money there, it's easy for them to say, you know what, like we'll, we'll take that. Like you, you've got the room, pay us. Um, these are two guys right. that we're hoping to sign up long-term. And so you, uh, you definitely don't want to get in the spot where you're, you're paying them above kind of what, you want to be above the kind of market value, right? Um, they're, they're very talented players. It's important to make sure that they, they get signed and they're signed long-term. Um, I don't think you need a full $19.8 million to sign these two guys. And it'd be dangerous if you do. Um, yeah. So goodness. This- that'd be, that'd be too much for those. I mean, they're fine players and they, they need to prioritize them obviously, but nearly you're talking about nearly 20 million for these two is, is too much, too much. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the latest reports from Pierre Lebrun were Kaprizov is looking at a five-year deal. I know I kind of estimated six years, $8 million for Kaprizov. I think that would be kind of, that's, that would just be my expectation. Um, so something along that five years might be a little bit less. Um, and Fiala, I think would probably come in a couple million dollars below that. Um, but these are young guys they are 24, 25. And so I think that definitely signing these guys is important for, uh, for their forwards. I, I would argue that they're, when you look at their forward depth chart, these are probably their two most important forwards, yeah. or at least yeah. at least at the, t- the very top. Um, and so I think definitely need to get these guys signed, but it's going to be uh, this, it may drag out, and that's frustrating for fans. It's not comfortable. It's a little bit uneasy, but it's going to probably drag out. This is the way negotiations go. But hopefully right. at the end of the d- day, by training camp, these deals are signed. Deals make the players somewhat happy make sure the team it fits under the team cap structure and and they have yeah. to be careful because they do with the buyout money that's there with with Sutter and, and Parise they're going to be in cap trouble later on and so you want to make sure that you spend wisely now it's um what's the Jerry Jones saying deadlines make deals and so it's one thing to kind of waffle and go back and forth now but once we get down to it like Sam was saying the training camp uh, th- things are going to get done I I don't think they'll lose campers off to the KHL personally. Um, but at the end of the day, what do I know? I, I just don't see it as much of a threat though. Um, the question I have for you, and this is going back to uh, what we were just talking about with, you know, signing the defenseman, John Merrill is a good signing. I like John mm-hmm. Merrill. Mm-hmm. And then Golgoski went one by five. Um, with that kind of deal, then that to me suggests that he's a, he's a 35 year old defenseman. You're paying him a pretty decent amount of money this year. That suggests that Minnesota, whereas maybe a year ago you're saying we're building, we're, we're still growing, we're building, and then they end up exceeding expectations. Well, a one by five for a 35-year-old defenseman suggests that we're looking to compete this year. Is, is that how you're seeing that? I, I think so. I think that Minnesota is a little bit stuck in this spot where they're not good enough yet, but they're hoping to be good enough soon. Yeah, um, exactly. I think a guy like Goligoski, you know, you, you, you take him. You see what you can do, see how the season goes. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe guys develop, maybe guys exceed expectations. Uh, you really make a push. And if not, 
maybe you're looking on the bubble and, and maybe they decide, hey, you know what, we'll retain half of that salary and send Goligoski to a, a playoff contending team mm-hmm. um, for a couple of right. weeks and, right. and do that. Like these are, are shorter term deals. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I, I, do, I do think that where they're at and we're just looking at the kind of the whole um, Western Conference of the NHL, I think that the Minnesota Wild are a playoff team. Uh, they're definitely not at the top end, but they're also, um, it is, I, I think it's, I think everyone would agree the, the Western conference is definitely weaker than the Eastern conference. So their chances of making it are, are better. And they've kept uh, a lot of these significant D in place and they've got their two goalies returning from last year. Um, and these young guys are going to continue to get it better. So I think that they're, they're in a good spot. Uh, there's still some things to be made. Uh, but the buyouts, I think, signify that they are yeah. looking to do something here. And so um, yeah. they, they, this this is the year that they have the most cap space that they will out of the next four years. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's go, right. Like, yeah. do something, make make it happen, go for it. Um, I think that if you can sign a few more guys to one-year deals um, that, that are there and you just kind of see how the season progresses, whether they become trade chips or assets that you just kind of you use as a year and and let go uh, when when money's a little more tight next year um they they've got some options here so I, I i see them spending to the cap they'll figure it out they'll work these deals in and uh it'll be a fun team to watch again because they were a lot of fun last yeah. year yeah they will be fun to watch at the end of the day that's what the offseason about it's about hope right it's about selling that to your fan base and they they have it so it's an exciting time to be a wild fan yeah, like I don't, I don't think that they've necessarily improved significantly through these signings. When you look at what's gone out versus what's come in, but I do feel like it's been a lateral move, and so I think that um, overall, you 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 take that. It's, sure. it's not ideal, but, but sure. you take that. So, sure. Good. Well, we'll wrap up there. Um, thanks everyone for listening. We're uh, we're thankful for everyone that does listen. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor that, that people do listen and, and we're thankful and we we're definitely working hard to, to continue to improve and get on people that we really value. And it's been a lot of fun to have different guests on over the summer and, and mm-hmm. to, to do this and, and we're getting geared up for the season. This is it's, it's coming. It's going to be here before we know it. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Be sure to stop by vikingsgazette.com for great Minnesota Vikings news, commentary and analysis. And the Vikings Gazette can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Vikings Gazette. Take care, everyone, and we'll talk with you soon.